Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with Disa Athos' daughter about her journey from store manager in Iceland to bridge champion, her passion for the constant challenges of the game, and her top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. Hi, partner. How are you, Catherine? I'm great. Thanks, Jocelyn. How are you? I'm okay. Have you had any interesting boards this week? Oh, well, have I? The other day, I had the best and worst board in one very neat little deranged package where I was so out to lunch. I just honestly don't know what I was thinking. I had nine points in my hand. The dealer was to my right. They passed. And I... I wasn't even thinking. I opened one club with four clubs to the king, hadn't even processed that I didn't have an opening hand, which I certainly did not. Left-hand opponent overcalls a heart, and then my partner responds one no trump, which is a very reasonable, (laughs) sensible response. She had 12 points in her hand. Somehow I thought my partner had bit the heart. I was so turned around. And so when I see the no Trump bid, I assume it's the ops making an unusual no Trump bid and that they're showing the minor. So now I bid two spades, (laughs) nine points, don't forget, which is a reverse. (laughs) My partner partner corrected to three clubs and I've I've got four clubs in my hand and somehow I made it. I oh, three clubs. I know. Unbelievable. I got a top board. We only had 21 points between us, but the ops were called for three hearts or three spades. <laughs> and my opening bid had completely confused them. 
Uh, so it was a complete disaster and a complete victory. Oh, like I said, tied up in one deranged little package. I, I honestly don't think I've ever done anything quite that crazy before. I, I, I just was absolutely confused. So yeah, there you go. It was an inadvertent psych bid in clubs. <laughs> it's amazing. So it was- it was. So my partner messaged me to say well played, which was very sweet of her. And then, of course, you know, the next hand kicks over. And then I'm just confused, like, for the next, you know, couple of rounds because I really hadn't realized what I was doing. So I'm having that moment within a moment where I'm trying to concentrate on what I'm doing within the hand, thinking, am I reading this right? Am I seeing this right? Have I counted my points properly? I didn't trust myself anymore. It was a very strange experience. So there you are. I think you've mentioned in the past having an out-of-body experience. So maybe we should just chalk it up to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or I'll blame some alien visitation. You know, maybe it was that. (laughs) Well, good job. (laughs) Thank you so much. Well, anyway, so we've had a letter in the mailbag. Would you like me to read it to you? Ooh, yes, please. Okay. So this is from Anonymous in Martha's Vineyard. Here we go. I was playing bridge online with my very old iPad, which would occasionally freeze. My partner opened and the opponents overcalled. I hit their profile to see what system they played and the window popped up covering the bidding cards. So can you visualize that on Mm -hmm. an iPad? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there's not a lot of space sometimes. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I could not get the pop-up window to move, but it was my turn to bid. I had planned to pass, even though my partner had opened because I only had four points. I kept tapping the profile to get that pop-up window to go away. And when the screen finally unfroze, I realized I'd bid seven no trump. (laughs) Everyone passed. Oops. I went down a lot. I'm not sure why they didn't double, but this bit I love. They say, my partner texted me, what is wrong with you? (laughs) It's my iPad. (laughs) I remember you once texted me, what do you think I had in my hand? And I wrote it down because it just cracked me up because it's just such an expression of exasperation. (laughs) Well, no, I was curious. (laughs) You were curious. You wanted to kill me. (laughs) Well, I don't recall. (laughs) Ah, Well, that's a a very diplomatic response. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I am so sorry, Catherine. But getting back to the technical problems that we were (laughs) confronted with. It is really challenging sometimes. I mean, you're at the mercy of your Wi-Fi being proper and no power outages. I mean, my God, we were in the middle of a tournament. Do you remember when all of a sudden I lost my Wi-Fi and... (laughs) I tried to tap into some public Wi-Fi, but it wouldn't do it on the computer. It would only do it on the phone. So I'm playing a um, I'm playing a tournament with you. Was this when you were trying to log into some local school's Wi-Fi and you had to take your phone and stand on the street? Yes, sure, I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because we had no Wi-Fi, and for some reason that was the only thing I could do, and I had to do it on my phone. I actually think. For whatever reason, we did fine that session. (laughs) And then I got my Wi-Fi back and we we probably didn't do as well in the other sessions. But I was so mad at Comcast. (laughs) I had them out here the next day. (laughs) This 
cannot happen. We have people who are working. Oh, and playing bridge tournament. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I was so stressed. I just kept thinking, oh my God, is she going to drop out any minute? And, and then I had visions of you, I don't know, in your pajamas or something, having to be like running up and down the street trying to find <laughs> to signal. Plus on the phone, it's really awkward. And I was thinking, oh God, you know, I hope you got it fixed. So I'm glad it was all sorted out eventually. Yeah, and it's it's hard to see the chat on BBO when you're on your phone. I mean, it's a lot smaller of a screen than you're used to. But I wasn't, as we all know by now, I was not going to not do everything that I possibly could <laughs> to play that tournament with you, Catherine. <laughs> oh, that's why I love you, Jocelyn. You're, you're always there for me, even if it's on the street. <laughs> In pajamas. <laughs> In pajamas. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you have any fun stories about inadvertent psych bids or out-of-body experiences at the bridge table or technical glitches that wreak havoc with your bridge game, please send them in to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com and maybe we'll read them out on the show. Coming up next, our interview with Disa Athos' daughter. Disa Athos' daughter was 21 when she was introduced to Bridge in Reykjavik. Within a year, she was playing at the World Championships, which speaks to her talent and ambition that has taken her to the top levels of the game, including the European Championships, the World Bridge Series, and the World Championships. We began by asking her how she learned to play. So my father called me on a Friday. And he said, there's a bridge tournament here tomorrow. I don't have a partner. Why don't you come play with me? And I said, well, you know I don't play. He said, that's okay. I'll teach you tonight. <laughs> that was my beginning in tournament bridge. So, I, you know, I drove after work. I drove to his little town. And, and you know, he sat me down with a couple of his friends and t- taught me, you know, this is how you count high cards. And, you know, then you bid like trumps and you compete. And uh, with that, I went to play the tournament. Actually, we did best of, of the local townspeople. We had like 49%, which was sort of unbelievable. And was it love at first sight? Like, did you instantly click with it? Did you think, oh, yeah, this, oh, is, yeah. this is... Oh, yeah. This was like, that was the most fun I'd ever had. So when I went back to town, I knew there was someone that I knew that played some kind of bridge, but he didn't play tournament bridge either. So I asked him to come play with me, and we were dead last out of 100 pairs. But, but I didn't care. That was the most fun I ever went. So I saw a young girl there. That was, she was kibitzing. And so I go to her and I asked her, I said, hi, my name is Tisa. Do you play bridge? She says, no. I said, well, great. Neither do I. Do you want to play? <laughs> but you were already an adult when this, if you, yeah, if you had a yeah. job and a car. Yeah. I was, yeah, I didn't take the bridge till, well, I would say late in life, maybe 21, 22, probably 22. That is late in life for a bridge player. Yeah. So there's hope for, for some people if they're only coming to it now at 21 <laughs> or 22, <laughs> but not us. Too late for us. <laughs> no, nah, that's the beauty of pitch. You can always, you can always, doesn't matter how late in life you come to it. There's always a place for you. There's always an, a niche that you will, you'll fit in. Like uh, one of my students, he started that uh, a little after 60 and she just loves it. And she loves learning, learning something new. And like starting, you first learn the basics and then started to play what she knows. And I've been playing with her for a year and a half now. And she has gotten so much better as she's learning and, and she's learning to apply what she learns. 
So it doesn't matter what age you start, really. You know, it's like any other talent, and some people are better cut out for it than others. However, if you just if if you are in your place and you keep adding to that, you probably won't be as good as some people, but <laughs> you can certainly hold your own. And and furthermore, brain Brits is the best thing you can do for your brain. It's the best mental exercise there is. You said some people are better cut out for it than others. What is it that that works for you about the game? What is it that connects with your personality, for example? How is it that you click so well with it? Well, immediately when I started playing, I just, I loved it. Loved it more than anything. And I put a lot of time into it. Read a lot of bridge books, which is very important. But, and mostly important, I got people that were better than I, I was to play with me. And I played a lot. And that's the thing. You need to play a lot. And that's why women maybe aren't or don't have as much representation as top players is because you need to put so much time into it. And they are busy doing stuff that matters. I'd love to pick up on that in a minute, but can I just go back to, you said you loved it and you loved it from the very first time you played. What was it that you loved? Did it appeal to your sense of gamesmanship? Did it appeal to your sense of problem solving? You must have some sense of how it lines up with other things that you enjoy and the way that your personality works. Yeah, well, everything, just everything about it, both both the interaction with the people, the competition itself, and the endless, endless learning. What was the, the work that you were doing before you became a bridge professional? It was actually pretty funny. I was managing a little store in Iceland, and the owner, she was a, a part-time bridge player, and she knew the woman that then started teaching me and the daughter that I mentioned earlier, that the girl I met at the bridge tournament. And we ended up actually up winning the uh, Nordic championships together, which is Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Finland, Iceland, and the Faroe Islands. A lot of good players there. So this woman that owned the store that I managed, uh, she was very uh, good at letting me have all the time off that I needed to go to various British tournaments. And did you start playing internationally uh, right away? or Actually, pretty soon, yeah. Like within the year that I started playing because... Uh, we were considered that we were talented and they wanted to let us get the experience. We went 1988 to Venice for the uh, world championships. You know, of course, we had no business being there, but we got the experience. We learned. I mean, anytime you start playing bridge, you have to get ready to get pummeled again and again and again and again. Oh, we're good at that. <laughs> <laughs> and did you, the people who recognized your talent... Were they like your mentors? Yeah, well, I got, like I said, I got very lucky that I got good people to play with me. But when my game really changed was when I got uh, one of the best players of Iceland. I'd been playing for about two and a half years, maybe. And we started a partnership and he sort of taught me everything I know. And we played together till I left for the U.S. That's wonderful. And why did you leave for the U.S.? Well, I got a phone call. Someone needed Someone to come play in America on the pro circuits. And I was offered a lot of Brits with a lot of top players. I had to think about that for a while. Okay. Five minutes. Two minutes. Five seconds. <laughs> uh-huh. That woman that you um, were first partnering with, have you kept in touch with her? Oh, yeah. Is she a top player also? Well, no, she stopped playing pretty much after we won the Nordic Championships in 1990. She stopped. She was done. Yeah, well, she she got married and had a family, and like I said, that's what women do. We 
go do the stuff that matters. This is very true. And so you think that that distracts a woman or or keeps her from being fully committed and devoting her entire life to bridge yeah. and becoming a top bridge player takes so much time that it's sort of like a little bit of insanity it's sort of ob- obsessive compulsive when you go to bed you have the stack of bridge books next to you you read bridge books day in and day out you know if you talk to anyone on the phone all the day like i can't tell you how many many hours were spent discussing the hands the night before on the phone and that's sort of all you do. You view, eat, breathe, and live Brits. We weren't talking about the hands that we played the night before. We were planning our next Brits tournament. So do you get on well with other women on the tour? Yeah. And do they talk about similar issues? Have they had to wrestle with balancing family commitments, for example, with their bridge passion? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. So are you saying that the men on the tour are either maybe less involved with family life or that they don't have families that they need to worry about? They're not as responsible. That's the thing. Like, you know, they, they, they can allow themselves to be more obsessed. They, they don't have to multitask. We have to. Exactly. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Disa, do you, um, do you compete a lot in women's tournaments and women's events? Uh, sure. And are you grateful for the women's events? Do you feel that that's important to allow women top-level competition, or do you feel that it would be better if, if they didn't have separate women's events? No, I told I told you support the women's events because there's a you know there's a lot of players that that aren't pro players or or you know you don't you don't have to be the best player in the room but you know if you if you go in the open there may be a lot of people that intimidate you because you know they're better than you are the women are not as afraid to go against each other as they are maybe some whippersnapper juniors or you know tough old pros or something. But don't you think that's a legacy of the fact that women have had less access to the game over time? It's almost like a special category. It worries me. Well, I don't think you should look at it that, that way. I mean, it's like mixed pairs. Because you have to have mixed pairs, you have to have a woman and a man. That's a special category. And everyone loves the mixed pairs. Yeah, I don't really understand what is the point of that. Again, it feels like a special category and I don't quite understand the reasoning. It's a special category. And the women, the women, if we took out the women's, women's pairs, say, which lately the women's teams have been going down, down, down. And the women's pairs have been going up, up, up. Because like there's been, there's been great. There's been a lot of pairs, well over a hundred pairs coming for the women's pairs. 
because the women's pairs, it's not that expensive. I mean, of course, you pay your entropy and you get to play with your friend and have a great time. What's wrong with that? Well, I did the women's pairs in um, in San Francisco and I did have a great time, but we did not do great. Right. But I bet there's some one hand that you remember that you that like was your favorite then. It was more just the, the, the women. Like I remember playing against certain women and and finding it very exciting. Yeah. Do you say do you have a favorite tournament that you like to play? That would be the Iceland Air Open. Well that's what it was called. No, I think it's just the Iceland Open. Yeah, it's at the end of uh January. Played at a place called the Harp. That's just a gorgeous Orchard's concert hall. It's like sitting on the, at the ocean, and uh, a lot of famous players come there. International players, like a lot of Swedes, a lot of Americans, and of course all the best Icelandic players. But then also a lot of players come that are not as good, and a great time is had by all. So you know it's a Swiss barometer. So if you're if you're if you're leading, then you'll be playing a table one. If you're not doing so well, you'll be playing at table 76. But you'll always be playing against someone who's doing the same as you are. So, you know, if you have 60%, you're playing against someone who has 60%. If you have 40%, you're playing against someone who has 40%. And everyone loves the game. And everyone, like women dress up. That's not the women, that is. They dress up. And it's it's just wonderful. It sounds glamorous. Well, it is. And it's and it's just, you know, it's just, it's doesn't matter if, if you're a beginner or a tough expert, you can have a good time at that tournament. So when you're playing, whether it's at a tournament or at a club, and say you're playing with um, an equally weighted partner, so not so much a client, but you're playing with another expert player, and say a pair like Jocelyn and I come to your table, you know, we're a solid intermediate pair. <laughs> How do you feel? Like, do you just think, eh, whatever, do you have feelings about it? Does it irritate you when they do stupid things? No, not at all. We all have to go through this, like get it pounded into us again and again and again and again. And you go like, oh, and usually, and it happens to everyone. It happens to me, it happens to everyone. And I just, I'll say to my partner, not do something bonehead. I just go, sorry, a cow flew by. A cow flew by. That's a, that's a very good one. I'm going to say that from now on. And also, talking about partnerships, doesn't matter if you're a teacher student, never say anything bad to your partner, and you get many more match points from being a good partner than if you go, why did you rough that one? The partner goes like, well, because I don't like you. Why did you think I forgot the trap books. Leave me alone. <laughs> and you know, so if I could give one great advice for partnership before getting better, don't ever start a sentence at the bridge table. Why didn't you? Not a okay. good way to start. I think I did that just the other day when my partner failed to give me a support double. Not this lovely partner, another lovely partner didn't give me a support double, bid, bid the suit. So I thought she had four of them and I bid accordingly. She puts down three. Yeah. So why didn't you give me a support double, partner? <laughs> you could have said, like, well, maybe it might have been better to bid a support double. But maybe just don't say anything and do the, when we do the, the postmortem. Exactly. We, I can talk record. about so it that's, later. That's where, yeah. where, that's where all that conversation belongs. Sometimes it's just, it just comes out. I just blurt it out, but. Well, we're all passionate about this game. Yeah. So just talking about partnerships, Deesa, um, I'm sure you've played with many wonderful people, but uh, what do you find is the most challenging aspect of a bridge partnership? Well, most challenging part is to 
put yourself at the level your partner is. So if I'm playing with someone very inexperienced that I'm teaching, you know, I got to understand where they are coming from. You can't like berate someone for those they don't know, or, or you got to understand like where in the building we're, we're building. Like you play with one partner and, and you are at level two, say. So that's where you've got to be adding the bricks at level two, because that's what they know. And then you play with another partner, they're, they're at level five. And now you've got to get bricks that, that fit you at level five. And of course, when you play with a peer, when you play with an expert, well, that's when it really gets tough because, because all experts, they all have pet peeves of, of a system and they all have things that this is an absolutely one thing I want to play. But the thing about system is it has to go together. It's like poetry. So if you take a convention from here and a convention from there and a convention from there, even if they're all like great conventions in the, their system, it all flows together. You put them together and it makes no sense. So, yes. you know, system has to be cohesive. It has to flow. There has to be room for everything you need to say. And like, let's say, just play something simple, like one no. Three hearts is just five, five in the majors. And one, no, three spades, five, five in the majors, but stronger. So like, let's say, no, I want to play that short. So now you take this out. Some people want to play just three, one, three, four, one, five. five, five so now right. you take this out. And you go, okay, so fine. So now you go sit down and all of a sudden you uh, realize that you, you have no idea. How do we play uh, one? How do we show five, five? Invitation enforcing. What do we do? Right. Because if, if, if you take something out, you've got to make sure you replace it. Yeah. So what are some of your pet peeves? I don't really have many. The only pet peeve I have is if, if we can't use common sense to like build our system. If I, if I had to pick one thing that I don't like, that, then it would be if you open two clubs strong to use two hearts there for a bad hand. Interesting. Takes up so much room. We don't use that. Yeah. <laughs> and also I'm not too crazy about controls over two clubs, but don't tell Karen McCallum I said that. Okay. <laughs> Kate, uh, she, she loves it. Do you have a favorite system or convention gadget that like is your pet favorite? My pet rock is probably, a, it's called a switzer. And that's if you open it, my partner opens a minor, the next hand fits one spade, then you switch the meanings of two hearts and the other mind. And of course, you know, this is, this is for like a little further down the road, but. That's probably one of my favorites. Just because it right, right. It's like if, the, if your partner opens up diamond and they bid one spade and now the two clubs showing that I have hearts and now my partner bids hearts. And now maybe the guy that over called the spade, he has to lead. He is the ace queen of the, this is a famous board from the world championship. He had the ace queen of spades. And so he couldn't lead that. The king was over there with the guy that opened. And so he made some other lead and they always took 11 tricks. At the other table, the bidding went a diamond, a spade, and now this had been two hearts. And they ended up in four hearts. And now this guy led a spade through the king. And now he could take the queen and the ace and give him a rough and cast their other ace. So it's right-siding, the, it right-sides the contract. Very often yeah. the right-sides the contract, yes. That's fascinating. Yeah. Wow. But that's, that's very like cool. a, That's for much later. Hey, what's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you when you're playing bridge? Well, definitely one of the most funniest things that ever happened was when I first came to the U.S., I went to a regional in Bettendorf, Iowa. Everyone was so friendly and it was, it was just, it was the most wonderful time I ever had. But back then, people didn't use bidding boxes and I had gotten an ear infection and couldn't hear anything and they didn't understand me. 
So if I said one diamond, they would like look at my partner and say, did she say three hearts? So I was playing with uh, Donna Rodwell and she had scoured up bidding boxes that we would take from table to table with us. And we sit down against uh, two elder gentlemen and she went through the whole spiel like, my partner can't speak and she can't hear. So like we had the bidding boxes and I'm comfortable with using the bidding boxes. And they looked at each other and we were like, you know, these young women and they didn't want to seem that they knew any less than we did. So they say, sure. So Donna, she opens one spade and picks up her one spade bid out of the box. And they look at each other and they look around and they look at each other till the guy finally picks up the bidding box and goes, double. So you talked into it like it was a microphone. You into it like it was a mic. <laughs> yeah, picked up his bidding box and double into the bidding box and much laughter ensued, but we laughed so hard because he wasn't joking. He was serious. We, Donna and I laughed so hard, we literally fell out of our chairs. He thought it was an assisted audio device. Yeah. I don't know what, you know, I don't know. He, he, he kind of knew how to use the bidding box. Hopefully he knows now. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling that he might not be with us anymore, but no. I hope he is. What's the strangest or most unexpected place you've played? Well, once I was playing a regional in Greenville, Mississippi, and we played in a gymnasium, which, you know, wasn't so bad. They just spread out the tables and everything. But in the middle of the session, somebody else, the roof is on fire. And everyone looks up and sure enough, the roof is on fire. Oh my God. And there's, there's, there's sparkles coming down. There's smoke coming. The roof is on fire. Not one person stood up. <laughs> not one person left the cards or stopped playing. No. Look, it's not that big. The, the, the fact the fire brigade can handle this. That's hilarious. Yeah. Total concentration. Fantastic. And the same whenever you play at the bridge tournament and, and the alarm goes off, you know, the file alarm, you know how it is. Nobody leaves the table. Yeah, you're hoping it's a yeah, false alarm. Yeah, it's false alarm. You know, we're on the fl- first floor <laughs> or second floor. We can jump we over can it. jump out the window. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. We won't die. Very committed. <laughs> yes. What do you think is your particular strength in bridge? I think my strongest part is I'm a very good partner. I'm a good partner. I'm a good teammate. And I don't know how to build up my partner and not make them feel bad. My weakest part is I play way too fast. One should always stop and consider all their options. And even if you think you've spotted the solution immediately, you sometimes have to go, is that the only answer? Or could there be hidden possibilities here? So how do you overcome that? How do you force yourself to to play slower? Well, you have to slow down and you have to realize that you don't know everything. So you get you get somebody leads something against a contract and you look at it and it's so obvious what you should do, but is not the only answer. If you take all the information you've been giving in the auction and on the lead, is there something better available? So I remember playing against you at a club and you were on lead. You just sat there. I saw you, you closed your eyes for a full minute and I could see you replaying every aspect of the auction and thinking it through. And it was such a learning moment for me to just watch the way that you took that time out to process what information you had before making that decision. Yeah, that is that is what you should always be doing when you're playing bridge. You should always be taking in information. Things change. Like, let's take just a, a simple auction. The bidding goes one no trump past three no trump. And it's your lead. No, and, and you're declaring. You're the one who opened one no trump. And let's say 
Your left tendon pulmonary leads the two hearts. Okay. Now what do you know? It's leading fourth best heart. So what additional information have you gained? Well, you gained the additional information. He doesn't have a five card suit or he would have let that. So always little tidbits, little information that you're bringing in constantly. That's why when you play in a hand, it always remains fluid because you're constantly getting more information. It's like if somebody has opened a preamp and now you have to guess the queen, it's more likely that the partner of the preemptor has the queen because he has more cards that, that are unknown. And especially, let's say that now the preemptor, he's on lead against something and he takes the ace, king, queen, and everyone shows out and it's clear he has the jack. So now you know where all the other high cards are. Right, because he can't have anything else. He can't have anything else. So it's always intake of information. Yeah, yeah that's great. That's great. What's the best bridge advice or tip that you've ever been given? So the best bridge philosophy or the best bridge tip I have been given is play up. Try to get better players to play with you. And if you're building a partnership with one partner, play against better opponents. Play against better players than you are. That's the only way to learn. That and read bridge books. Tons and tons and tons of bridge books. But the best way to learn is to play with opponents that are better than you. And if you see them do something brilliant, you can always ask them about it later. And then, of course, there is the other best way to learn is to play duplicate bridge with a lot of fun people, go to the bar afterwards, discuss every board, see what the experts did, and and ask advice. Those are fun sessions. Thank you, Jesus, so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. This has been fun. And that's the show. Thanks to Deza Aethel's daughter, Rubina Astley, Catherine Girardot, Dan Graboy, and Theo Hassan. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Deesa says, play up. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.